All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to be in verses 35 through 43. Luke 18, beginning in verse 35 today. I'm in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along word for word. It's also in your outline. It'll be on the screen, so you can follow along um, with us today. But that'll be Luke 18. I wonder, have any of you ever had um, a nightmare? Nightmare? that you can remember? Um, Well, it was February 22nd, 2009, when I woke up and walked right into a nightmare. Um, I heard some rustling in the hallway, and of course we have kids at the time. Um, 2009 we had all three, but one was a baby, um, the other was a toddler, and the other was, uh, you know, kind of pre-K, I think at the time, maybe five. Um, it's hard to keep track at that time. Um, so I get up because I heard rustling, and so um, to go check on things, but our bedroom's dark, uh, the hallway is dark, and so I can't see anything until I get to the doorway where the bathroom light was on, and so it kind of illuminated um, a young two-and-a-half-year-old Tristan. That's our middle son. Um, He actually is working the cameras and things like that. So if you've never met him, he's got a big, long mullet. And so just look for that. And so he is, uh, so, so I, I kind of see his silhouette because I, it's dark. I can't see anything. But as my eyes kind of adjust to the light, as I'm nearing the doorway, um, I see this sad puppy dog look on his face. And then a smell hit me that no parent wants to um, receive at 4 a.m. And so I step into the hallway to do my fatherly duty no pun intended, Um, and uh, I stepped right into my nightmare, a liquidy substance. And so I turned the light on and discovered that Tristan didn't just have a dirty diaper. He had a nuclear explosion that not only went from his bed through his bedroom carpet, now creating this brown pond that I'm standing in. And so I immediately, thanks to, I mean, we've been praying about, I mean, we've been talking about having wisdom and asking for wisdom. I immediately had the wisdom of God and realized that this is a great team building opportunity for my wife and I, because I am not taking this project on by myself. So I woke her up and working together like a good couple, um, it still took us 45 minutes at 4 a.m. to clean his bed, his carpet, laundry, put him in the bath, and get everything cleaned up. Thankfully, it was laminate floors in the hallway, so that made that quite simple, but the carpet and the bed and all that wasn't that simple. But because I couldn't see, (laughs) I walked into a big mess. Maybe you've been there as well. Maybe you've had that experience in and of itself. You know, I was thinking as I, I actually had blogged about this uh, years ago, and I remember the story, and so I went back to get all the details to get them correct and things like that. But as I was, you know, reading that, I was thinking how often we just take it for granted the abilities that we have, like to see until we can't see. Some of you have had things like surgeries where you can't use your shoulder or, you know, a hand or something like that. And you realize like, hey, how, how often you use that physical ability until you can't use it. Maybe it's our hearing or maybe it's eyesight or, or whatever that might be, uh, you know, during the, the COVID issues and things like that. When people, you know, got COVID and then had issues breathing, you don't realize like how much that affects your life, how much it wears you out. Well, the Bible tells us about a man who understands and he understood the frustrations and the complications that came, the the challenges from from not being able to see. 
So in Luke 18, beginning in verse 35, this is what the scripture tells us. As he, speaking about Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, I want to stop right there because we don't know much about this man. It doesn't give us his name. It doesn't tell us much about him. It just tells us that he is blind. And we see that he's sitting along the side of the road, and so that tell, and, and he's begging. And so it tells us that most likely he doesn't have a family to care for him and to take care of his needs. It could be that they, that they have died, that they've passed on. It could be they're in a different town. Or it could be that they have kind of abandoned him because of the challenges of his disability. Um, I worked at the Salvation Army for a long time, and we dealt with substance abuse, and we dealt with homelessness. And there were a lot of people who were um, homeless. And, and I know a lot of times we get the stereotyping of drugs and alcohol. And there are a lot of people who struggle with that. But what we found is many of them might have mental health illnesses and things like that, bipolar disease um, or uh, schizophrenia, things like that, that were very challenging for family members to care for them. And so they would abandon them. They would just kind of look, we can't deal with it anymore. And they would find themselves homeless. And because they didn't have the proper medication, they would self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, trying to balance themselves out. And so I, I see this story and I wonder if this blind man became so challenging to his family that they just abandoned him. That they said, hey, I'm going to take the easy route and, and rather than care for my family member, I'm just going to kind of leave you to your own um, vices. But what we find here is that he is fending for himself and having to beg in order to provide for himself. And so verse 36 through 39 goes on and says, hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man hears a commotion, much like I heard in the, the, the hallway. He hears this rustling, but he can't see. So, so he, he can't just go find out what's happening. He can't go to the front of the crowd and, and, and see what the commotion is all about. So he has to ask the people, what's happening? What's, what's taking place? What, what's all the commotion about? What's all the rustling about? What's everybody talking about? And so the crowd tells them, tells him here that um, Jesus is walking by, that Jesus is there and he's coming. And so the, the thing you can first write down is this. Jesus' reputation precedes him wherever he goes. Jesus' reputation precedes him wherever he goes. We see it all through Scripture. We see time and time again that um, crowds would, in droves would go to where Jesus was, either to see him, to see his miracles, or maybe to get a miracle um, for themselves. Maybe their own healing or whatever that might be. As a pastor, I love that because I think we are the body of Christ. And so the reputation of Christ in our community should be evident in our life. It should be evident in our church. Maybe you've attended somewhere before where a pastor has challenged you to say, you know, if we ever had to close our doors, would our community even notice? Would they even miss us? As a church, that should be a resounding yes 
Because while we're not just a building, we meet in a building, we are the body of Christ. And so what Christ has done in our life and what he has done in your life should be um, known to your friends and to your family. It should be known to the community, the life uh, change that, that he can bring, the transformation that he can bring, the transformation that he is bringing. His reputation should precede him wherever he goes. And so um, this is what's taking place all through Scripture. We see wherever Jesus went, people wanted to be there. Now, this man is um, blind. It's no different in his uh, situation. I mean, it's not like he's been to these other towns and seen what Jesus did and saw the miracles, saw the healings, but he heard about it. He heard the talk about it. He heard that there is this Savior, this Messiah, this man. Maybe it was a prophet at the time. Maybe it was a rabbi because they didn't fully know who he was. But there's this great man going around healing the lame. And here this man is. He is lame. He's crippled. He's left to fend for himself. The Bible tells us about a story about a group of people who um, lowered a man that was lame and crippled down through um, a roof in order to get to Jesus because there were droves of people there trying to get to Jesus, wanting to be healed. And they, they believed that Jesus could heal their friends so much that they were willing to take a risk and to open up a roof and to lower their friend down so that, they, that, that he could be healed. We don't see these kind of friends surrounding the, the, the blind man. We, we don't see that kind of support. We don't see that kind of care and that kind of love. But he's heard about a man, and he's left to fend for himself. And so the blind man began, began crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This man has an opportunity to finally be healed. To, to finally um, get healing from this thing that has stolen so much of his life. And what do we see from the crowd? Like the crowd in this moment, knowing who this man is because he's begging every day, he, they see him on the street every day. It's kind of like when we go through town and we go in different places around our city that we might see the same homeless people every day. We might see the same people in the cubicle every day that maybe don't have it all together like we have it together or whatever that situation might be. It might be a different socioeconomic situation. It might be a mental health situation. It might be a relationship situation or whatever, but we cross the people, the same people every day. And maybe we kind of sneer at them, or we kind of snub our nose at them, or we kind of just overlook them. And I, I see this blind man, and every day I imagine he's sitting on the side of the road begging because that's how he provided for himself. He can't see, he can't work. And so how many people pass by, they know his ailment, and in this moment, here's Jesus, his reputation precedes him, and where these people could just help get Jesus' attention. It would be kind of like, you know, you witnessing an auto accident or something like that and seeing a paramedic or seeing a police officer just up the road, just within reach, where you could go get their attention and you could go get them to help and, and you have that opportunity and you just choosing not to do it. And, 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 and as that person is in pain and as that person's calling out for the paramedic and calling out for the police officer, hey, I need help, hey, I need help, you saying, Shh, be quiet. Silence. Because that's what the crowd tried to do. They tried to silence him. They, they, they could have helped him. They could have went and got Jesus' attention for him, knowing that, hey, this, if, if anybody needs this man, 
If anybody needs Jesus, this is the guy that needs it. Maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they were kind of embarrassed that he was causing a scene. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us, but the Bible does say they tried to silence him. They told him to be quiet. Here they are in the perfect position to get Jesus' attention to help this man who needs healing. And instead of helping, they want him to be silenced. And I can't help but wonder for us as followers of Jesus, and I don't neglect the fact that there could be some people here that um, don't know Jesus, aren't followers of Jesus, but for those of us who are, I, I wonder how many of us do that every day with our silence, with our ignoring, with our unwillingness to share the good news of Jesus, without, with our unwillingness to engage the people who may be different from us, who may be challenging to us, or whatever that situation might be. And what we're doing in our inaction, and what we're doing without dis, with our disengagement, what we're doing in our own silence is essentially telling them Shh, to be quiet. Because we are the ones that can help lead them to Jesus and get them to him. But the man, I love this, he kept crying out all the more, the scripture says, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized, he knew, he understood this was his one shot. This is his opportunity to get Jesus's attention. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody else is telling him to do. He can possibly finally be healed from this ailment that has stolen so much from him, that has caused so much pain in his life. And so he calls out passionately to get Jesus' attention. And verse 40 tells us, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly, he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Isn't that interesting? The very people that tried to silence him, the very people that tried to shut him up, the very people that could have helped him but didn't, now they're glorifying God. The man got Jesus' attention, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine if Jesus had asked that question? If maybe his response was something like, well, Jesus, I'm, I'm disabled, I can't see, and you know, I'm having to beg to provide for myself, and so could you help me be able to get more donations to provide for my need? Because that was a need. I mean, that's how he, he, he provided for himself. That's how he supplied what he needed. That's how he probably ate. Or could you imagine him saying, Jesus, I don't have any family I don't have any friends to care for me. And so to get place to place, it's dangerous. Like, like uh, you can't tell, I can't tell you how many times a, a chariot has almost run me over because I couldn't see. And, and so could you just help me to have some friends, so, some people to care for me? That was a genuine need as well. And while those might have been needs for the blind man, his ultimate need was to be healed of his blindness. So he didn't ask for the donations. He didn't ask for the, um, the, the, the friends and the family. Those, those were need. He understood intimately what his ultimate need was, and it was the fact that he was blind. The reason that he had to beg was because he was blind. 
The reason that he uh, maybe didn't have family and friends to care for him could have been because he was blind. Every other need that he had was a result of his blindness. Every other thing stemmed from the ultimate need of blindness. And so he has this opportunity for Jesus to fully heal him, to restore him back to normal, to, to, to take away that ailment that affected his entire life. And so in this moment, as Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? All he had to do was have faith that this man can heal my blindness. Not that he can get me new friends, not that he can give me a little bit of money and donations, not that he can um, uh, change some of the other issues that resulted from his blindness, but this man can heal me of my blindness. But think about that, even in our, day, our, our current day. Like if there was this man walking through town and people were like, man, he's healing people. And he's doing all these things. Like, would you have enough faith to go, man, hey, Jesus, will you heal me? I want to see. Or would you go, man, that's hokey. That's foolish. That's fake. Fake news. Whatever that might be. Today, we know Jesus isn't here. So we might go, hey, that might be a little crazy. But in this moment, he still had to have the faith that this guy could heal me. He didn't see anybody else get healed. All he had to do was go by the, the, the testimony and what other people had said about them being healed. He didn't see it with his own eyes. He, he had not witnessed it, but he had to have faith. And so he said, Lord, I want to see. And immediately the blind man is blind no more. The Bible says immediately he could see. His faith in Jesus not only saved him, it said, but it healed him in this moment as well. And the scripture tells us he became a disciple and started following Jesus, glorifying God, sharing his story, leading other people who knew him and knew about his ailment, knew that he was once blind. He led them to also glorify God because of the power of God in his life. It's one of the reasons we do um, This Is My Story. It's not just me taking uh, a number of weeks off. But, but it's one of the most powerful series that we uh, do because you get to hear the power of God working in someone's life. You get to hear that, that, that failure isn't final. You get to see that um, our story can be used for God's glory because ultimately the only reason we have a story is because of the, gr- uh, the goodness, the grace of God, the power of the gospel in our life. So every story should be a bridge to the gospel. Every story should be a bridge to the power of God at work in our life. And so that's why we do This Is My Story, so that you can hear what God has done in other people's lives. So other people can say, I was blind, but now I can see. I was, a, I was here, I was um, in this situation, I was doing these things because of my ultimate problem. And as God healed that ultimate problem, here's the result of what he's done in my life. And so that's what we see with this blind man. We see that the Bible tells us he began to follow Jesus. He became a disciple. And as he's going through and as people see the power of God at work in his life, even the doubters had to believe. Even the doubters had to glorify God. And that's what's taking place in this moment. And while this is an inspiring real life story of a man that you and I very well might get to meet in heaven. Think about that. You in heaven will get to meet this once blind man who now 
got healed and can see. Like, these aren't just stories. These are real-life people that you and I are brothers and sisters with, that God has done a transforming work in their life. They're, they're not just names or uh, illustrations on paper, but they are real-life people that we get to meet. It's an inspiring story, but the Scripture tells us that some of you might be in the exact same position that this blind man was, but instead of physical blindness, it's spiritual blindness that you are dealing with. It's spiritual blindness that is your ailment. It's spiritual blindness that you need healing from. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You can write this down. Everyone is born spiritually blind. Everyone is born spiritually blind. If you want to write beside that, you can add and dead. Dead men can't see, but we're all born spiritually blind. Every one of us is born into sin and are separated from God at birth. No one recognizes that they're on your own, that you need to be reconciled from God. Now, there is, um, uh, Acts 17 tells us that um, God has placed us where he has placed us, when he has placed us, that he created the nations, um, decided when they would rise and when they would fall so that they would seek after God to perhaps find him. So, so there is hardwired into you a, 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 a seeking after God. And in that seeking after God, you don't know just automatically, you know what, I need God. In that seeking, you're looking for a savior. You're looking for something to, to fulfill that which God has put into you. And in doing so, you go to these things which you think will bring peace and satisfaction and healing and hope and all of those things in your life, but it leads you to broken saviors. And so where you are looking for hope and where you're looking for peace and where you're looking for salvation, where you're looking for God, you discover things that are not God. And they lead to more misery. They lead to more brokenness. They lead to more blindness. They, they, they lead to things that um, are, are not what God can do for you. And so we're all born spiritually blind. And without spiritual eyesight, we're all prone to walk into big messes, to make a bigger mess of our life. Why? Because we're walking blindly. We don't know what we're walking into. We think this is going to be a savior for us, and this is going to help us. This is going to give us hope. We don't know. And so we walk into it. We make those decisions. We embrace it. We accept it. And it leads us into more brokenness. It leads us into more despair. You might have grown up in church. You might know all the right answers to all the Sunday school questions, and yet you still feel hopeless and you still can't find peace because you just think that going to church was going to be a savior for you, that it was the, the, the answer for your problems. Some of you might be here because I hear it all the time. I've, I've, I've been out of church. I haven't been in church in a long time. I need to come back to church. No, you need to come back to God. You, you need to, it's not coming to church. 
Like you might get an emotional feeling here and a connection here. And let me tell you that God has designed this for our encouragement, for building one another up, for our corporate worship. But there's nothing magical about coming into this building to get your life right with God. It's a daily pursuit and it's a daily connection with a true and living God who wants a relationship with you. You can do it in your living room, your bedroom, your, your office cubicle, or your classroom. You can have a daily relationship with him, not I've got to get to church because, I mean, I've been out and all this stuff's gone wrong, as if there's some superstition about coming to church. This building does nothing for you. This building is a building. You can go to an abandoned warehouse and have a, a, a better connection and meeting with God than just coming into this building. And so some of your mindset is church is your savior. I got to get to church because it's going to do something for me. But just coming to church does nothing for you. You can be in church. You can be here today and still be spiritually blind. You might have known, uh, I mean, I, I know because I've talked to some of you. Some of you know that you're broken inside. You know that um, things are not well. Whether it be from personal decisions that you actively make in your life, or whether it be decisions that have been made by other people that have affected your life, there is brokenness. You struggle with um, grief, you're overwhelmed with depression and guilt. You've tried to find healing in a bottle, in a substance to take the pain away, to numb the pain through the embrace of many different partners. It's not just, you know, like, um, that's why you think relationships, you think a boyfriend, you think a girlfriend, you think a husband, you think a wife is going to be that savior because this relationship breaks and less than a week, maybe two weeks, you're in another relationship. That one falls apart and a week or two, you're in another relationship. And that one falls apart and you're in another relationship over and over and over again. Why? Because it's like the potato chip. You can't just have one. Why? Because it doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't satisfy you. And you're looking to relationships as your savior. You're looking to drugs and alcohol as your savior. You're looking to food and shopping as your savior. You're looking at all these things as your savior, and they leave you in greater despair. Why? Because this time, this one's going to fulfill me. This time, this one's going to fulfill me. And it breaks your heart over and over again. It, it, it leaves you empty over and over again, and it only piles up and adds up more and more and more. And so it leaves you in greater despair. Why? Because of blindness. And you can be a follower of Jesus and put binders on to the truth. You can be a follower of Jesus and not, see, not you know, ignore what truth has been put in front of you in his word. And so you can be a follower of Jesus and still take your eyes off of him and, and go astray and do these same things. You've tried everything in your power to find healing for the misery of your life. It might not fit in the list that I just gave of the few uh, illustrations of which you could have turned your life to, but, but you've tried everything to find hope, to find healing, to find peace, to find contentment, to find satisfaction, to find freedom from the bondage of the things that have wrecked your life, but it all comes up empty. Paul said, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to the perishing. That, that word gospel means good news. 
That means there is good news for your spiritual condition that leads to healing and freedom, but it's veiled to unbelievers. That's what I was saying. You you, you don't just um, are born into sin in a broken relationship with God, spiritually blind, and then just one day on your own be sitting on the couch and it just light bulb clicks on and you go, you know what I need? I need to be reconciled to my creator God. It just doesn't happen. But there is this gospel. There is this good news of who Jesus is, of what he's done on your behalf, of how he can provide healing. He can provide freedom. He can provide salvation. He can provide the satisfaction that all of these false and fake saviors leave you still wanting. But it says that it's veiled to the unbeliever. That's why it's important for those who follow Jesus to share the good news, to to proclaim that which God has done in our life like the blind man, to go around and say, I was once spiritually blind, but now I can see. To walk around and to give glory to God for the transformation that he has done in your life and in your heart. Why? So others can see. I've, I've mentioned this before, I don't know if here, but Greg Steer um, is a huge youth evangelist. And their uh, youth services would far outweigh their adult services on Wednesday nights. Like 800 students, 1,000 students. And when people would say, like, what's the difference? Like, why are all these students coming to your student ministry? Because it wasn't like entertainment. I mean, they would do fun things. They would do games and things like that. But, but he's, he was, he's huge on teaching students to share their faith. And he said, lost students who didn't know Jesus, the unbelievers that the gospel is veiled to, this good news is veiled to, would be invited to their youth service. But it would start in the school. It would start out on the ball team or whatever, the, the kids living out their faith, the kids being vocal about their faith. But then coming into their worship service and seeing kids, um, teenagers, students, 6th through 12th grade, genuinely worshiping God, singing to um, God in praise and worship and glorifying Him of what God had done in their life. And the other students would look at them and they would see there's something different about them in their worship, in their glorifying God, in their communication outside of church. It all added up to go, there's something different about them. I'm curious. I want to know what that is. And it helped open that door. It helped remove the blinders so that they could hear the good news. They could hear the gospel and that that which was veiled could be unveiled. And so in our spiritual blindness, we seek a Savior someone or something that can set us free and heal us. But oftentimes, we fall short. We don't see our ultimate need without a revelation from God. You can write this down. Jesus is compassionate towards the lost and the lame. Jesus is compassionate towards the lost and the lame. I mean, that was his reputation when he was here on earth, that he was compassionate towards the lame, the crippled, the sick, those who had ailments, But oftentimes, it wasn't just about the physical healing. It was revealing His power. It was illustrative of even the spiritual, the ultimate healing, the spiritual healing. That's why with the blind man, he says, your faith has saved you. It wasn't just about the physical healing. What if Jesus physically healed him, but his soul was not made right with him? He still remains spiritually blind. It would have done nothing for him. What good is it for us as a church to be so socially driven Uh, And, you know, 
I'm not saying anything is wrong with these things. I'm saying if we go and give water to the thirsty and food to the hungry and clothe the naked, but we never share the gospel, what we essentially do is we um, provide for a physical need here on earth while sending the people to an eternal damnation separated from God where their, those needs won't be met and their greatest and most ultimate need won't be met. So we send them to be separated from God for eternity in a tormenting place. But we gave them water on earth. We gave them clothes on earth. We gave them food on earth. No, food should be a bridge to the gospel. Water should be a bridge to the gospel. Clothes should be a bridge to the gospel. We should never just aim to meet physical needs without also meeting the spiritual needs. And that's what we see with Jesus. He healed him physically, but ultimately he healed him spiritually. We, we will never, as a church, as long as I'm the pastor, just get into the um, social provision and become a social um, uh, agency that meets physical needs. We will meet physical needs, but it will always be a bridge to the gospel because the ultimate need is what we're called to be about what we're called to proclaim. We're not going to be the crowd who says, be quiet. Shh. Because that hunger, that those needs that are, being, that, that are needing to be net, met are oftentimes a symptom of the ultimate need. And I wonder if Jesus asked you today, what do you want me to do for you? What would you tell him? Would it be about your broken relationship? Would it be about the marriage that's fallen apart or that fell apart or the third one or this, this relationship, this, this boyfriend, this girlfriend? See, your relationship might be a need, but it's not the ultimate need. Would it be about the addiction? You've, you've been trying to get free from it. You've been trying to do it on your own. You've gone to the programs. You've gone to the meetings. You've done all the things that you can do. And while that might be a big need in your life, it is not the ultimate need. Or maybe it's greed or anger or hatred or self-centeredness. Maybe those are the things that hold you in bondage. And that's what you want freedom from. That's, that's what you want liberty from. Because you know it's a problem. It's cost you jobs. It's cost you friends. It's, it's cost you dearly in life. But that's not your ultimate bondage. Your spiritual blindness is your ultimate need. Your sin is your ultimate bondage. And just like the blind man needed Jesus to heal him, you need Jesus to give you spiritual sight and to heal you and to trust in him to be your Lord and your Savior. That's what you need. You need Jesus to be your all-satisfying treasure. You, you need to trust in Him. You need to pursue Him. You need to embrace Him. Not just as Savior, not just as a get-out-of-hell-free card, but as Lord, as one who directs your life to one you bow to and you worship and you follow as King because His way is the best way. His way leads to peace. His way leads to contentment and satisfaction. So you don't just need a Savior. You need a King, a, a, a Lord to yield and to submit your heart and your life to. Lord, he said, I want to see. 
If, God, if Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you? For those who maybe you walked into this place spiritually blind, maybe trusting in the church, trusting in your own efforts, trusting in a bottle, trusting in a relationship or whatever, and maybe the Holy Spirit saying you need to trust in Jesus. Would you say today, I want to see? I want spiritual sight? I want you, Jesus? I've tried all the other things, but I want you. I need you. Or would it be the things that result from the spiritual blindness, the freedom from the addiction, the relationship, the, the, the love instead of the hate, the, the generosity instead of the greed? All of that stems from the ultimate need of spiritual blindness. All of those other things stem from the root of being in bondage to sin. If you, if you are spiritually blind, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not reconciled back to God through Jesus, then, then it's going to be, you, you may, you know, do your best to get that freedom from that addiction, but you're not going to have ultimate freedom. You're not going to have ultimate peace because it stems from Jesus. He is the gospel. He is the good news. And in verse 42, he says, receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. And the final thing you can write down is this. Jesus gives spiritual sight to those who have faith. Jesus gives spiritual sight to those who have faith. Titus 3, 4 through 8 says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. For those being baptized, you can go ahead and get ready at this moment. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you today. He is the good news. He is the one who gives kindness to us. It says that when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. I love that because it's as if it's saying when he gave us spiritual sight to see that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is the true Savior, that he is the good news, then he saved us. When, we, when it's been revealed to us who Christ is, and we can be like the blind man and have enough faith to say, I want to see. I want to see. Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. At that moment, he saves us. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He, he, he didn't turn to the relationships. He didn't turn to the substances. He didn't do the things that we do looking for false saviors. He lived the life that God called you to live. Perfection. He called you to be perfect. And yet you could not do it. I could not do it. And so he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he did it perfectly. He did it successfully. He went to the cross to die in your place 
to take your death, to take your punishment, to pay the debt that you could not pay, to, to take the, the payment of all your sin, to take the wrath of a holy God that would rip any one of us apart, would destroy us. And he took that wrath on himself on the cross. He went to the grave. He was buried for three days and he rose to new life, not just to raise a new life, but it was essential that he rose to new life. But in that raising to new life, the scripture tells us that because he is the resurrection and the life, we too are able to be resurrected and to be made new, not just in the life to come, but in the here and now, that he will make you brand new. He doesn't just make you a mosaic. He doesn't put a band-aid on your problem. He will fully and finally heal your spiritual need. You might still deal with some sin. You might still deal with some struggle. You might deal, still deal with the things of this earth, but your soul will be healed. You will be saved. You will be given new life. The Bible says for those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. We're brand new. That's what he offers to you. And so today, if he were here and he were to ask, what do you want for me to do for you? Would your answer be, I want to see? I want to see. I'm going to place my faith and trust. I'm going to have enough faith to trust that Jesus is that Savior that I need. He doesn't save you from your good works. He saves you to do good works. He's not asking anything of you today. He's not asking you to give into the offering. He's not asking you to know the, the, the words to the songs. He's not asking any of that from you today except to believe that he can heal you, to believe that he can save you, to believe that he can set you free once for all time. Do you believe that? And if you do, isn't this the best time, the best moment to trust in him and quit running to the things of the world, quit giving yourself over to the, the things that hold you in bondage, the things that keep you broken and in misery. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can once for all see spiritually, see the truth, see who Jesus is. As I pray, I'm going to encourage you, one, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've put the blinders on to the damage that um, your sin will cause in your life and will cause to your family and you're walking blindly, ignoring the truth that you know is there in God's word and that God has called you to. One, for those who are followers of Jesus today, as I pray, I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to take this moment as we pray, as I pray, and I'm going to call you and encourage you to pray and to ask God to help you take the blinders off, to return to his word, to listen to his spirit, to see as he sees so that you can live a life that honors and glorifies him. And then my encouragement, my challenge to those who uh, maybe you walked in today and you're not a follower of Jesus. It would be in this moment if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if he's calling you, if he's telling you that you need Jesus in this moment the Bible tells us with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that you believe in your heart what you heard today of the gospel and of Jesus. 
You, you heard that, you believe it in your heart, and with the mouth confession is made. So as I pray, I'm going to encourage you. There's no magic prayer to pray. It's through faith telling Jesus, I want to see. Telling Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. And so in this moment, I'm going to encourage you to have that conversation with Jesus and confess your need for him. Ask him to save you. And if you do that, I'm going to ask one more thing of you, to take that connect card in front of you and let me know. Because we want to help you take your next steps in following after Jesus so others can see the change in your life and they too can glorify God. So let's pray. Whatever God's speaking to your heart, whatever he's doing, let's deal with it in this moment. God, thank you so much for a healed blind man. Thank you for the example that you have given us in Scripture that Jesus is compassionate towards our needs. That he does not leave us abandoned as the crowd would, as family would, to our ailment, to our sin, to our blindness. But he is compassionate. He calls us. He welcomes us. And so, God, I thank you that you gave us the example of the blind man to show us that Jesus welcomes us and that he too has the power to save us and to give us spiritual sight, to set us free. God, I pray if there's one who continues, has been living in sin, they've been living in this bondage, that today in their weariness, today in their brokenness, that through the truth of your word, their eyes would be opened, their They would have the understanding that all they need is Jesus. That he will set them free. That he will give them rest. That he will renew them and make them new. And so, Lord, whether it's a follower of yours who has put blinders on and has chosen to walk back in the way of the world, God, I ask that they would run back to you. They would turn back to you. They would repent. They would come home. And Lord, if there is one here that does not know you, if there's several here that that do not know you, there's nothing more I can say. I pray that your spirit would speak in this moment and they would answer and they would ask for spiritual sight. They would ask for new life. They would confess their need for you. And in this moment today, they would be saved and they would begin that brand new life in you. They would be adopted into the family because of Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the good news. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.